Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with Nicole Valance, founder and president of Connected with Nicole, to discuss her passion for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As Christ followers, this is something we are all called to do, but too often avoid doing. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education, and we are honored to have as our guest this week, Nicole Valance. Nicole is probably one of the most diversified people I've met. She's a high-energy business consultant who speaks on mission, values, and strategic plans. But really, if you got to know her core passion is encouraging others to actively share their faith with those that they come in contact with. She's the founder of Connected with Nicole, working with for-profits, not-for-profits, churches, and schools. And I've invited Nicole to talk about what she's most passionate about, and that's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So with that, Nicole, welcome, and thank you for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Great. So that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, let's start off with a question. As you reflect back over your uh, life, share with us one instance that God either uh, in your professional life or your personal life propelled you forward in answering and you answering his call for your life. So I got saved when I was at Chico State in my sorority. So I grew up Catholic, but I didn't have that personal surrender with the Lord until I was in college. and. When I got saved, God really broke my heart for the lost. And I remember one of my sorority sisters, Jenna, we were in her uh, apartment and she was the one person that was coming to a Bible study that I had had started. And it was me, Jenna and her cat and our boom box with the wow worship. Remember the wow CDs? And so I had that, you know, and I had my Bible and I knew nothing about worship or teaching the word. But I remember praying on my knees in my sorority house, praying, God, use me, help me. I really wanted to impact Jenna. And we put on worship music in her apartment. You know, there's those times where you feel the presence of God. And then there's those times where like, oh my gosh, like God is in this room and he is real and he is here. And I had only been saved I don't even know, maybe a month or so, and the presence of God showed up. So I had a number of instances like that where God just, he started to use me and I didn't even really realize that he was using me. It just impacted my whole life. And I just became addicted to being used by God to help other people experience his presence. Oh, that's great. Isn't it neat how how God shows reminders of himself all throughout our life and and shows up in uh, a lot of times in very uncommon ways. But when we experience it, it's that encouragement that that drives us forward. So I've had the opportunity to interact with you a little bit, and you're definitely somebody who's very passionate uh, about what you do and how you approach not only your business, but j- just even your walk with the Lord. So what 
what is it that that drives that passion for you of encouraging Christ followers to share their faith with others? So a lot of times when I think that we when we think about being a Christian, a lot of times like people that grew up in church, right, and they were almost saved from the womb, feel like maybe they don't have as powerful as a God story as maybe those of us who didn't become a Christian until we were in college or into, you know, as adults. But really to me, the greatest part about being a Christian is yes, I'm forgiven and I'm so grateful for what Jesus did. But the greatest part about being a Christian is introducing other people to Christ. Like that is where my passion comes in. And so when I got saved in my sorority and I started sharing the gospel, I got this revelation that I love Billy Graham. I love all of the great you know, people that I was getting introduced to at the time, you know, John Brevere and, and people like him, you know, back Reinhard Bonnke. And I remember thinking, they're not going to share with my family. They're not going to share with my friends. The only way that my friends and my family are going to hear about Christ is if I tell them. So I began sharing my faith and leading people to Christ. And that just impacted my life so much that it just, it, it became like the joy of my life. And I feel like one of the things I'm so passionate about is helping other Christians experience that joy. Like, I'm so glad I got saved. And that was a great experience. But the best experiences of my life have not been when I'm at home in my prayer closet. That's not the most powerful part of my Christian experience. And that is kind of shocking and maybe sacrilegious to say, but that's not my favorite part about being a Christian is reading my Bible or spending time alone with God. My favorite part about being a Christian is partnering with God on this, the great, what I call the great co-rescue mission. And it's like, great, great. I'm safe. Check, check, check. I'm good with God. Okay. Now I get to run with him. I literally get to experience what he is feeling and thinking every single day. And he's thinking about the loss and he's thinking about the harvest and he's, he took care of my sin and he loves me and I get it. That's, it's all great. But the greatest part about being a Christian is being able to have this Not I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm a saint now and I'm a co-laborer and I'm a co-partner with Christ. And I get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And that is what I think about, what I'm obsessed about, what I I love. And I want every single Christian to have that experience in in their walk with God. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now, back to the show. And part of what we're uh, passionate about within biblical higher education, and, and you know, I've talked about it on multiple occasions, and every occasion I get, I talk about it, is what drives us is the Great Commission that we see in the Gospels when, when Christ ascended, his last message to his followers was go and make disciples. And our tendency is to focus perhaps on the disciple-making side of it, but we skip over too often, too quickly, the fact of first we have to share Christ before they can actually then be discipled. 
and perhaps a, a bit of a lost art for us in today's age of, of taking every opportunity to share Christ uh, with those that, that we come in contact with. So you've done a lot of research. You've written about this. You talk about 10 myths to stop believing about the lost. We don't have time to go through all 10, but as you look at your 10 myths, what are your top three myths to stop believing about the lost? Number one, that they've heard about Jesus and they know who he is, that they've heard about him and they've heard about how to go to heaven. We think that people, they've heard the gospel, they know what Jesus did, they know how to get to heaven, but they just love their sin so much that they don't want to, they don't, they just don't want to become Christians. No, Philip, we've taken God out of schools. People aren't being raised with Judeo-Christian values. They're not going to church. They live in a completely separate world. They have not heard about Jesus and what he did, why he died, and that he rose again. And they do not know how to get to heaven. So that's the number one thing. We need to stop thinking that people have all these preconceived notions about what it means to be a Christian and who Jesus is. That That's number one. And Nicole, that's a pretty seismic shift. If you look back, even in our modernist era, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I would say, at least in North America, there was a, a general understanding, a general concept of, of the basics of Christianity, who Jesus was, the fact that you know, a recognition of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and recognizing the fact that you know, Christmas is about Jesus being born and Easter is about Jesus dying on a cross and dying on a cross for our sins. There was a basic working knowledge, but that's a pretty dangerous assumption to make in our culture today. People just don't even know about it. They don't know. And Philip, if anybody wants to argue with me about this, like you're not preaching the gospel. Okay. I preach the gospel all the time. Okay. Like we, I know the lost. I talk to them. When you get out there and you start talking and you're connected, I have so many friends, good friends. Some of my best friends are not Christian, okay? Love them dearly. They have not heard about Christ. They do not know. We live in a post-Christian, post-modern generation. America is no longer a Christian nation. They do not know. They have not heard. So that's number one. What's the second myth? The second myth is that they have objections. They don't have objections. Jesus said the harvest is ready. We think that we're going to plant a seed and that over time it's going to grow and then eventually it'll be ready, right? That our job is just to love them and, you know, somehow, somewhere over time down the line, they're going to hear about Jesus. I consult churches and one of the leaders in the churches said that she'd been praying for her father-in-law to get saved for 20 years, but she had never actually sat down with him and actually shared the gospel. She's like, I don't know what I was thinking. She's like, it just never occurred to me. And I think that it just doesn't occur to us to share the good news, to tell people how to go to heaven, because we think that they have a hard heart or that they already know or that they have all these objections. Philip, they do not have objections. If you share the gospel with 10 people, one or maybe two of them will have objections and questions and fight you and, and get defensive and argue. But the rest, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so when we preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right, people get saved because the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. And so that would be the second um, myth is that they have a so, so then what what causes our hesitation to, to do that then? What why are we so hesitant to share the good news of Jesus Christ? 
well, it's the same reason I was hesitant when I started snowboarding. It's the same reason we're hesitant when we start riding a bike. We just, we, confidence comes from competence, right? If we have not learned, if we have not practiced riding a bike or snowboarding or anything else in life, we don't have the confidence. And so a lot of times we just don't have the confidence in sharing the gospel because we just haven't had anybody teach us or we haven't researched and we just haven't done it. When I started sharing the gospel, it is completely different 20 years later than it was when I first started sharing the gospel. And so we don't share because we're not confident. And the reason we're not confident is just because we haven't shared. We haven't been taught. We don't know. But once you begin to share and, you know, you work through all the the kinks and the fears, it becomes so easy and so fun. And you realize that, wow, people are so ready. Philip, I, I, I was going on a jog recently. And, and I was running past this, this young um, woman and I just felt like go share with her. So I turned around and I did the awkward, which I don't love doing always, but I said, I feel like God wants me to tell you, you know, how to go to heaven. And have you ever had anybody share with you how to go to heaven and have a relationship with God? And she just stares at me like, oh my gosh, like I'm this weird Christian, you know what I mean? I'm like, but I just shared with her. And then by the time I got to where I was giving her the option, uh, I said, do you want to pay the penalty for your sin? Or do you want to put your faith and trust that Jesus paid the penalty for you? And tears came up in her eyes. And she said, I was just praying last night before I went to bed. I said, God, if you're real, give me a sign. And I was like, I'm your sign. (laughs) You know, and it's like, and I led her to Christ. And that's just one of many examples of they have not heard. They don't have objections. They're searching for God and we get to be there and help them make that decision. Great. So that's the the second myth. What's the third myth that you want to share with us? So, you know, number two is they have objections. Number two is, is they won't accept Christ and they will accept Christ. If you preach the gospel to 10 people, seven of them for sure will accept Christ because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Okay, you don't have to be fancy people. If they if any objections, if any that people give, you just say this, I understand how you feel. I felt the same way, but what I found is we you go back to the God's given us a conscience. We know that we have sinned. You use the law, God loves you, but bad news, we've all sinned. Good news, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty. You have two options. Do you want to pay the penalty or do you want to put your faith and trust that Jesus paid the penalty for you? And that Jesus died he rose from the dead on the third day. That is like lighting a match. That's the power of God. And that's how somebody gets born again. That's how they become a Christian is when you are preaching the word like that, they're hearing and faith, faith comes by hearing. Okay. And how can they hear unless we preach? How can we preach unless we're sent? Well, consider, let's consider ourselves sent by the Lord to fulfill the great commission and they will accept Christ. If you preach the gospel to people that have not heard about Jesus and you understand that they don't have objections, that you will lead people to Christ. Yeah. It's the power of the gospel, right? That's the, to me, the beauty of it. Something so simple. And I think you made this comment at the beginning of the episode about, you know, the the story that we tell, especially for those of us who have been raised in Christian homes, we don't have this, this dramatic conversion experience, but it's, it's, it's still a conversion experience. And it's still because it's the simplicity of the gospel. Even a child can understand those elements yet our relationship with the Lord is so complex, right? And it's so layered in us trying to understand who God is and and all of the theology that surrounds it. And yet the gospel 
the entry into that, the entry into that relationship is so incredibly simple. And the other piece of it too, is it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the work, right? We're, we're simply the messenger and it's the Holy Spirit who is engaging with the person and convicting them of their need of a savior. All we're doing is fulfilling what God has called us to do. And the Holy Spirit does the actual work. We don't have to convict them. We don't have to convince them. You're right. The Holy Spirit is already doing that. And they're already searching for God. They want to know God, right? They just have not had anybody explain to them the way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And you have seven others, but we don't have time to to cover those. So let's switch gears a little bit. And you kind of mentioned this in response to some of the myths, but there is objection to the gospel. And I think a lot of times that's what drives the fear that we have in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Give us insight into how to overcome the top three objections to Christianity. So this is, so I say, I when I tell people I'm going to help you guys overcome the top 10, 10 objections, it's playing on, it's really a, a bait and switch, Philip. There's no objections, okay? There's no objections. And if there are objections that come, and I want to ask you to give me like one of them that you think your listeners might have, you overcome them all the exact same way. Listen, there's very few of us in Christendom that are called to be able to defend the gospel at that level. That, But two or three people out of a hundred Philip are going to have these questions, these major, major objections, but let's say they do object, right? Like, how do you know for sure that Jesus is God? And how do you know for sure that he rose from the dead? And how can we trust the Bible? Or what about evolution? And all of these big things that we think people are going to bring up and the way that you overcome any of those objections. And I have heard all of them is you recognize that it's a distraction in the gospel. It's a distraction when people bring up all of these objections, no matter which one it is, right? All I want everyone to do if they're having a conversation with somebody says, I understand how you feel. I encourage you to go study that, to go read that. There's a great book called The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel wrote it, right? There's a lot of people that, that can, if people are asking you hard questions, Philip, guess what? They've asked the hard questions and they've already Googled the answer, okay? And then they've already come up with their idea of how to, combat that objection or that answer that they think that you have. And so when we are sharing the gospel and we think that somebody has an objection, like what about evolution? I say, I understand how you feel. I felt, or I've had a lot of people that I've spoken to have felt the same way. But what I found is no matter what about the Bible, if the Bible is true or not, or has errors, or it doesn't have errors or evolution is real, or it's not you know, what I have found is we all have sinned. You always bring it back to the law, okay? The law is a tutor, Paul says, that leads us to Christ. And so any objections people have, the way that you overcome it is you realize that's just a rabbit, that's just a squirrel. Acknowledge the squirrel, acknowledge the rabbit, and bring it back to my five steps for leading somebody to Christ. Number one, God loves you. Number two, bad news. People know that they've sinned. God has written eternity on our hearts. He has given us a conscience. We know he's written his law on our hearts. Every single person under the sun knows that they've sinned. The penalty for sin is death. Number three, imagine you're in a courtroom and the judge says, are you innocent or guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments? You'd be guilty. I'd be guilty. And they know, Philip, every single person has, has a conscience. They know that they're guilty. We don't have to convince them of that. They already know. And then you say, Jesus died to pay the penalty. And he proved that he was God when God raised him from the dead on the third day. I don't believe in the resurrection. 
rabbit, squirrel. Again, we've all, we have a conscience. We know right from wrong. Jesus died to pay the penalty. So my question to you is, do you want to pay the penalty or do you want to put your faith and trust that Jesus paid that penalty for you? And then you lead them in the salvation prayer. All objections are a distraction. It's a smoke screen. If you will just stay focused on their conscience, use the law to show them their need of Christ, and then explain to them how Jesus paid the penalty for their sin, ask them if they want to pay the penalty or if they want to put their faith and trust in Jesus, and then pray with them the, the sinner's prayer. That's how they get saved. I've done this, Philip, for 20 years. I've come up with every single objection under the sun. Go back to the law. My friend, Christina, I led her to Christ three years ago. She's like, well, she's like, Nicole, she's like, I'm a lesbian. Does God send lesbians to hell? I understand that a lot of Christians may have told you that. I understand how you feel, right? I understand where that question is coming from. I said, but Christina, I said, let's take being a lesbian or being gay or being transgender or being whatever sin you think is a major one or the Christians have told you keep you out of heaven. I was like, Christina, I was like, you are also self-righteous. You gossip. You've dishonored your mom and dad. You're a liar. You've stolen things. I was like, let's take homosexuality off the table. I was like, you have a lot of other sins that we can talk about before we talk about even that specific one that you've heard about is the one that's going to keep you out of heaven. I use the law, the 10 commandments. Don't commit adultery is one of them. Don't lie. All of that. And then you could just see it's starting to click for her. And I'm like, so we have a lot of other sin that we're going to have to give an account for, but Jesus died to pay the penalty for all of them. And, and she gave her life to Christ. Yeah. So I love, I love that. And it's very much, and we struggle and in our humanity, we struggle. And I, and I've encountered those, those objections as well. How can such evil things happen in this world? If we have a loving God, how can such evil things happen in this world? And uh, Billy Graham, I'll never forget 9-11 was being um, interviewed in in the midst of the tragedy of of 9-11. And that was his simple message, which we've all heard him say many times. And he said, it's the curse of sin. It's what holds us back as humanity. And, but there's a solution. And he brought it back to the solution and Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us. There's no answer, Philip. uh, Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Philip, I don't know. There's no answer to why somebody was molested as a child. There's no answer to why tragedy and devastation, except for the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, except for we live in a fallen world, except for Jesus died to take care of all of that on the cross. But there's no good answer or good explanation that we can give to people for the pain and the suffering and the trauma that is in the world. All we can do is stay on track and introduce them to Christ. That's going to take years and time. I still, there are questions that all of us have. Even as Christians, we go through hard times and it's like, though he slay me, like, God, why is this happening? God, I need you. God, where are you? Dark nights of the soul. To get people saved and reconciled to Christ, we have to keep it on the law, the conscience. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, another good point for church leaders and 
in just understanding and, and, you know, I was, I was raised in a context where we weren't encouraged to ask questions. It was, you know, it's just this way and you just accept it. But, you know, you look at the old Testament, you look at the book of Psalms, David did a whole lot of questioning. You look at Job, Job did a whole lot of questioning of, you know, why is this happening to me? But yet in all of those instances keeps coming back to, okay, I don't get it. I understand it. The only thing I do get, and the only thing I do understand is that God, you are holy, you are mighty. And I put my faith in the fact of you're working out some other plan. And it's an understanding of the sovereignty of God in, in the mix of all of it. And the other thing, it's fascinating, and fear, I, I do think, drives a lot of us from sharing Christ. And I, I've often told people, we have the best story to tell. It's our story of how Christ made a difference in our own life. And that fear of rejection, of saying, okay, well, they're going to ask a question that I can't answer you have to kind of bless and release that because chances are they will ask a question you can't answer because we all have questions we can't answer, but but that's our walk with the Lord. But what I can tell you is the difference that Christ has made in, in my own life. And then you, you share it as your testimony. You're never, I would tell the regular Christian, Philip, to not go study how to answer all the questions. Don't study it because guess what? If you get into a conversation with someone that is an atheist or an agnostic or somebody that has studied, they're asking all the questions and they have all the answers. I'm going to consider myself a regular, ordinary Christian. I would be nervous, Philip, to go up to bat against an atheist or an agnostic who has studied and researched all of these hard questions. Okay. I would be nervous to go up against them. I am not claiming to know how to answer all of these questions, yet I still lead people to Christ all the time because all it is, you're not going to argue somebody into the heaven, into heaven. You're not going to argue somebody. You're not going to have a, an answer to one of their difficult questions. And all of a sudden they're ready to get saved. No, that is a process. And I refer them to people again, like Lee Strobel, who wrote the case for Christ. Go read that book. Okay. Go study these guys. My brother love him so much. He's not a Christian yet. And we've had all the debates and we'll be, I remember this one time we were, we went to Hawaii as a family. And my brother was asking me all these hard questions. And I was like, Joey, you are smarter than I am. You have studied all of this way more. I was like, so here's what I want to do. You ask me the question and then come sit in my seat and then answer it the way that a Christian would answer it. And then go back to your seat and just have the argument with yourself because you've already had it. All I know, Joey, is that you have sin and Jesus died and he rose again to pay the penalty for your sin. And when you're ready to accept Christ, he's there. That's it. Mm. Yep. Yep. Great. Well, Nicole, we're, we're wrapping up our time and, and I have one, one last question for you. Our audience, biblical higher education, we have presidents, we have leaders within biblical higher education who are very much about the Great Commission and that's what drives us. But what would you like them to hear about the importance of sharing Christ as they are training an entire generation of future church leaders? Sure, Philip. One of my most shocking conversations I have with presidents of un universities is when I asked them, I said, if I was to poll a hundred of your students who graduate from your university, okay, how many of them would you be confident have been trained how to share the gospel and could confidently lead somebody to Christ who was ready to hear the gospel and accept Christ? Because the harvest is ready. I said, how many of your students, if I polled a hundred, would you be confident after graduating from your university would be able to do that? And you could just see the shock that they're not confident. And I say, well, you know, Ephesians 4 is pretty clear that God's given the evangelists, the teachers, the job of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Well, what is ministry, Philip? What is ministry? 
Paul says we've been reconciled to Christ and given the ministry of reconciliation. So I think that we have failed as educators, as pastors, as leaders, if our disciples, if the people that we're teaching do not know at a basic level how to share their faith, lead somebody to Christ, and teach them the basics of Christianity. So that's what I would say to your listeners, to the presidents and, and professors at the schools, is are the students in your class being prepared for how to share the basic gospel? And are they leading people to Christ? And Paul said this, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I would ask your leaders and professors and presidents, who was the last person that you personally led to Christ? And when was the last time you tried? Because Paul was an apostle, but it sure looks like he was what we would call an evangelist, right? He was sharing his faith. He said, I consider my life worth nothing unless I use it to finish my assignment, which is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I would say, who was the last person you led to Christ? And when was the last time you tried? I challenge leaders to make a list of 10 people that they're in relationship with right now that don't know Christ. And most of us Christians have a hard time making a list of 10 people that are in our life that don't know Christ that we're praying for um, and believing for to get saved. So I would say that we have failed, Philip, if people graduate from our universities and they're not passionate about sharing the gospel, because what else? There's a lot of things we're going to be able to do in heaven, except get one more person there. There's the CT stud said this, Philip. He said, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. And the greatest gift that we can give our students is a passion for sharing their faith so that when they enter that beautiful place, far removed from our sorrow and care, they want to hear somebody say, it was you who invited me here. And so I think that that's the greatest encouragement I would say is share your faith and make sure, you know, that the people that you're influencing know how to do that because there is no ministry that does not start with sharing the gospel. Make, if you're making disciples and you, all you're doing is influencing other Christians, that's not the Great Commission. That's part of it, but that's not the start and that's not the goal. The result of our discipleship is not people looking more and more like Christ. The result of our discipleship in somebody's life includes that, but it should result in them knowing how to share the gospel with other people. Yeah, yeah. So it's a personal challenge to each of us in, in who we're sharing Christ with. But then I think another element of it, and a great question for our leaders to ask is, where in our curriculum do we talk about how we train students to share the good news of Jesus Christ? And if you can't see it, then perhaps it's something that, that needs to be added. So Nicole, thank you so much for this. Thank you for sharing your uh, wisdom and experience and your challenge uh, to us all today. If you want to connect with Nicole, you can go directly to her website at www.connectedwithnicole.com. And I've put that website in the show description. And so if you want to reach out, she has a, a number of resources and also is available uh, to speak in chapel uh, or lead evangelism uh, training uh, on your campuses if, if that's something that you're interested in doing. So just reach out directly to her uh, on her website. So, Nicole, thank you very much for your time. And until next time, stay kingdom focused. Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. 
For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your biblical higher educational organization by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.